0: So today the church honors Martin Luther King Jr., um, the Episcopal Church does, um, on this weekend. We honor martyrs on the day of their death, um, and for Martin Luther King, this service is organized for the day um, of his death, which is the anniversary that we remember, but we honor it this weekend because of the the holiday. So it's an unusual observance on our part, and the church rarely honors martyrs, something like this on a Sunday. So it's a very, very unusual observance and very appropriate, um, and very appropriate here in the city of Atlanta. Um, and these readings have to do with some very basic questions about what it means to be Christian, even though they are specifically to help us think about who Martin Luther King Jr. was and how, why he would be in our feasts calendar, why he's a saint in our church. But here are the questions I think they invite us to consider. What part of our lives have to do with God? It's one of those Christian questions that seem quite simple, but the implications are quite profound. What part of our lives, basically, what part of your life does God care about? What part of your living does God have something to do with? I'm going to guess you're thinking right now everything, right, all of it. Does anyone disagree? You're somewhere like that, right? And this is literally what these texts are trying to get us to think about. What part of your life has to do with God? And if it is everything, what might that mean? And Martin Luther King Jr.'s life shows us a little bit of what that might mean. The readings do as well. And then the other one, and I'll come back to this later, is what is God calling you today that surprises you? So we start with this verse reading, and it is about as absurd, frankly, in the King James version as it is in the version that you heard read today. God says to Moses, who we remember the story of Moses, right? He is protected by his mother and sister in the reeds because the Pharaoh wants to kill all the babies. He survives, the Hebrew babies in particular, the children of Israel. He survives, but survives living in the court of the Pharaoh, but nursed by his mother so he knows the songs and stories of his people, he knows who he is. And then he has to flee because he murders a man who is abusing a Hebrew slave. Right? he sees it, he acts in rage, probably the rage of a lifetime in the confusion of who he is and, and flees. Goes out into the middle of nowhere, the um, wilderness away from Egypt and meets this man Jethro whose flocks and herds he helps to tend marries his daughter Sipporah. That's the story, a foreigner, right? Moses is every kind of foreigner at this point himself. And frankly, he's okay. That man has finally found some peace, is how I read that story. God bless him. And doesn't he deserve it? Even his birth, before his birth, he was marked for conflict. He was subject and vulnerable before he was born. He's found some peace out there. This is the irony of the stories. You're reading along. If you're reading and you didn't know it was happening, you think, thank God. Doesn't he deserve that? It is in that moment that God comes to him in a flaming bush and says, you're the one. God bless Moses. says to him, you're the one. You will lead my people to freedom. And very specifically, Moses says, oh, no, not me. And lists very good reasons why he is not the one. And one, I think, part of what he's saying is, no one is the one. We can't do this. There are too few of us. There are too many of them. Think about, think about how it works. What do we have to offer? In what way can I threaten? He's right. And you can hear it really well in this translation because it's a very simplified translation, but that's really what, it's what it says in all the text. God's promise is this, and it's, I wonder if it's a laugh line, frankly, in the original text, and we're just too far away to know, is the way you're going to know it's going to be okay is I will be with you However, we all figure out God is with us, right? I will be with you, God says to Moses. I, speaking out of the flaming bush, I will be with you. And then after you're done, after you do this, you can bring people back here and you can worship me. That is the equivalent of saying, it is a dark cave. You go on ahead, Ann Kramer. I'm right behind you. I got a flashlight. And after you solve it, I'll be- we'll come back and celebrate. Well, thank you. That's that's really what God says. Now, if you're a parent, you might think that's a lot of what we do in life with kids, right? Like, you know you got this. They have no, way, no reason to believe they've got it. And we say, you got this. Your coach might tell you that, right? Someone you love might say, you're going to be all right. You're going to make it. But God says this to Moses about something that is improbable. And this is the reason I ask about what, God has, what parts of our life God has to do with. One could say the people of Israel are doing the best they can, right, under very difficult circumstances. Moses Has taken care of himself, he's going to be all right. Everyone's getting along. The thing that Moses is about to do is going to disrupt everything, how everyone knows how to live. The order, even if it means that some people are suffering profoundly, the order of things as they know how to make the best they can out of what they've been given. That's how people are living. You can see why this has to do with Martin Luther King Jr., right? Child of the city, sent off to become a minister at Ebenezer, probably professor at Morehouse as well. Like he would have had an elegant, respectable life in this city, a good man, right? From, from folks that knew how to take care of him. Clearly, God would have to call someone like that to shift out of everything he knew and the future being planned carefully for him by people who loved him and saw his promise to say let's actually change a thing that cannot be changed. And you know how we know it can't be changed? We tried to change it a hundred years ago, and it changed a little, but not really, right? Things keep getting pushed back, keeps going back and forth. Let's try to change that, he says, in the 50s with the Fellowship of Reconciliation and other really beautiful faith movements in this country that think about peace and justice. Let's do the most difficult thing, the impossible thing. And how will we know we're right? God is with us. And how will you know God is with you? Kind of like Moses. You just got to know. So we're telling the story today, and we celebrate the life today of a person who, like Moses, stands up. A person that comes out of some significant privilege and complicated history, stands up and calls the people to their best selves. And the people themselves must have been confused. What do you mean? We're leaving the only place we've ever lived, the only life we've ever known. This is what Moses promises, and it's what Martin Luther King Jr. reminds us of, that as we move forward in the parts of our life that it might seem have nothing to do with our faith, but actually we live in based on the faith that we have. Can you believe that the world can be a better place than it is? Do you believe God calls us to that work together? And then in the gospel, we have this hint that, of the movement that Martin Luther King Jr. brings to this country, which comes from India, um, of nonviolence and what nonviolence means, which is about the dignity of the body. Now, there are many good ways to make change when you need to make change. Um, I don't know all of them. There's lots of them. We're a country formed out of many of them. But I have one story. Um, when I was in seminary at Union. Um, It's right down the street from St. John the Divine. You can walk. It's a very easy walk. And I heard that Trevor Huddleston, who had died, um, there was going to be a memorial for him that the South African uh, consulate was hosting at St. John the Divine with the cathedral because he was so important um, to Desmond Tutu um, Nelson Mandela, and that generation of anti-apartheid leaders. Trevor Trevor Huddleston was an Anglican priest and monk, I believe, I think he was a brother, Anglo-Catholic, and uh, in an order that sent people to South Africa, Um, and he's from England. And um, they were appalled by apartheid and the racial segregation in South Africa. So he goes there to serve, and he's a church guy, That's, that's what he does. And Desmond Tutu tells a story, and I heard it. I still love that I get to say this. I heard Nelson Mandela tell this story because I was standing in St. John the Divine as a student, and there was only one of me, so I could get squeezed up to the front by the ushers, and I went to the cathedral, so They put me up in the... um, to sit there while Nelson Mandela stood right there and stood up to say, um, today I'm here on behalf of Desmond Tutu, who couldn't be here. Because he had, a, he had, yeah. The other way, it's usually the other way around, right? It's Desmond Tutu saying, on behalf of Nelson Mandela. Yeah, Des, Nelson Mandela said, on behalf of Desmond Tutu, um, I am here because Trevor Huddleston changed our lives. And the story that Desmond Tutu tells is that as a young boy, he's walking with his mother in his town, and a white man is approaching. And this is when a white man approaches, you don't know what's get yelled at you could be told to move anything could happen they could ignore you this white man trevor huddleston wearing a big old collar it's why i wear a collar this story is why i wear a collar whenever i can um walked by them and tipped his hat looked them in the eye and tipped his hat which would be the same as saying good morning ma'am it's not done was not done at the time it was more likely they'd be asked to step off the sidewalk and into the street or into the gutter and Desmond Tutu tells the story till his death, right? He would tell the story that that's when he decided he would be. He wanted to do what that man did. He wanted to be like that man. So they're telling the story, um, profound, right? And, you can, and both of them were students in schools that he set up. Um, he goes back to England later and becomes a bishop and dies, and this is why they do this memorial for him. Changed their lives, created a movement he could not have anticipated, no way that he knew. That's what he was doing, and going to the hospital to visit a sick Desmond Tutu with polio, or creating a school for boys that were poor, living under apartheid. He was just thinking about basic education. You created the movement that changed everything there, right? God has to do with everything. But my story is actually that I left that service awed. I couldn't believe I just sat through that. Couldn't believe I was in that room. Walking out of that cathedral, which is awe-inspiring in and of itself. I'm from Dallas, Texas. That's amazing. And Jim Forbes was walking out. Dr. Forbes is the professor of preaching at Union. And he was the um, senior minister at Riverside Church, where Martin Luther King preached, a great church in New York. He walks out and he says hello because he recognizes me as a student from Union. And he asks me, me my name again. I tell him. And he says he knows that name, Varghese, because there's a Paul Varghese. Are you related to Paul Varghese, he said. My brother's name is Paul Varghese, but I was pretty sure he didn't mean him. Um, Paul Varghese is, is a bishop of the Indian church. Um, and became the president of the, the Orthodox Church in India and became the president of the World Council of Churches. Um, in the 50s, he came to the United States at the invitation of the SCLC to talk about the nonviolence movement and the movement for independence in India. And Jim Forbes said, That's the first time we all heard about it. And we said, in person, okay, people had read about it in the newspapers and learned about it and learned about it as a spiritual discipline of standing in your dignity as a human being, inviting others to stand in their dignity, um, and making visible the force of the injustice of the state against your body, because you stand in your dignity. And there's a lot more to it than that. But he's telling me this as we're walking back to school. And I'm I'm telling you, like, the hairs on the back of my head were standing up. Um, I could barely, like, touch the ground walking. It was such a profound moment of understanding as I wondered what my role was in this world, what it meant to be a priest, and what it means to be called in this time, to hear the concrete legacy of person-to-person connection. My brother's name is Paul Verghese, because he's named for Paul Verghese, who's a hero of our communities, right, in India. Right, that that very concrete connection was a connection to the powerful civil rights movement of this country, to Dr. Forbes, who was teaching us how to use a pulpit um, over there at Union Seminary, Um, To this time, in which we are all discerning what God calls us to in this time. The text today calls us to consider where is God calling you in ways that you cannot imagine you are equipped for. It's not for you. It's greater than you, different than what you thought your life was for. Think about it. And as you look at the world around you, consider what it is that God does not care about. As you imagine what your role is what the role of the church is, what the role of our faith is in the world that we live in today. Amen.